Good morning. It is good to see each of you here, and we are thankful for your presence this morning. The weather is beautiful outside, and we are thankful for that, and just makes things a little brighter and a little uh, more enjoyable when we've got good weather and good temperatures and things. Also, I want to make mention uh, a little Alyssa that usually sets back our Andrea and the Meadows and all those. Uh, I think she had COVID. I got a message uh, from her uh, last night, I think it was late, and uh, so we won't remember them. I think she's doing better, but um, let's remember her in uh, our prayers as well. I ask you the question this morning, have you ever felt the joy that comes with bringing a lost soul to the Lord. Have you ever felt that joy? You were responsible for someone coming to become a Christian. Have you ever felt that joy? You taught someone, or you led them to someone that would help you teach that person. You know, many, so many people rob themselves of that joy. They rob themselves of feeling that joy. Of knowing that you were responsible for someone having hope of eternal life and going to heaven. Many people rob themselves of that. Why or how do we rob ourselves of that joy? Sometimes it is lack of zeal. Sometimes we think, well, that's more for the seasoned people in the church that have your preachers and your elders and your deacons, and it's more for those people. Sometimes it's because of intimidation. That's what I want us to focus on for the next few moments that we have together. What intimidates you? We talked in our young couples or young people's class today so sometimes the government will intimidate us. Sometimes other people intimidate us. Sometimes our boss, sometimes people who maybe know more concerning spiritual matters and things intimidate us. But what intimidates you? This morning I want to conclude 
our series of A Better You and Me and You in 22. Talking on this subject of intimidation. And that joy that we often miss because we are intimidated. I can remember some 20, probably 26 years ago. I was working in a plant, and one of my employees that worked on the factory assembly line or the line, she and I had a conversation. And we began to talk about God and religion and Jesus. And as we began to talk, interest began to come even more about wanting to know how to go to heaven. So my good wife and I, we set up Bible study in our home. Back then, we used the Jill Miller film strip. Uh, we still had those where you turn the, and we showed it on our curtain or on our wall, one, I can't remember. Um, and we had several, several studies with this lady. And another lady from work came. And I can remember one night, we finished up about 9.30, 10 o'clock, or a little later, just back before we had kids. But she said, I want to become a Christian. We went that hour, by 11.30 or so by then, going on midnight, and we baptized this lady into Christ. That was my very first conversion and baptism. I'll never forget it. The joy that I, I couldn't even sleep that night. I was so happy and so joyful that I had had, had developed the ability at such a young age, an immature age, that I had come to a point to where I could actually teach someone and baptize them into Christ and give that person hope. Not only was I happy for her, I was happy for myself. That joy... And I can tell you, I was intimidated. I was scared to death. My wife and I would rehearse what we were going to say because we were so scared. Because we were afraid that we were going to do something wrong or we were going to say something wrong or we were going to turn off the, the conversation and, and we prayed and we prayed and, and Lord, help us to be able to teach this person But that great joy that came with that. You know what, where intimidation comes from? Oh, we can, psychologically, we can take and narrow it down. But you know where it really comes from? Satan. 
If we are intimidated when it comes to doing godly things or good things in godly ways like teaching people and worshiping and those types of things and good works as we go about our life, it's Satan. Satan is using something that you and I feel insecure with right now in your life to intimidate you and I from doing what we really need to be doing. That's what it boils down to. Satan is using something. Now, I don't know what it is in your life. I can tell you what it is in mine. But he's using something in your life and my life to intimidate you from either talking to that person about Christ or doing those good works and those good things in godly ways the way we should be. You notice our text this morning, the woman at the well, we often say, Jesus knew a lot of info about her. She's later going to say, he's told me everything that I've ever done. But I want you to notice with me as we finish the story this morning of where she goes and what she does. But first of all, let's talk about just a few things. What can intimidate us? Number one, lack of experience. Young, old, or a young Christian, many believe that evangelism, again, is for those who are seasoned in the faith. And you know what? Looking at our text this morning, this is not what we find in the case of the Samaritan woman. The one that our Lord converted... As you read on through that text, as you drop down to uh, verse 27, um, and she goes on, she's already tried to change the subject about worship and this, that, and other to take some of the focus off of her. But go on down to 27 and 28. The woman said that her, she what? Left her water pot and went her way into the city and says to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She had not been converted very long when she started telling others about the Lord. Not very long at all. Do you say this morning that she knew everything she needed to know? No. She had just been taught. She had just been converted. She had found the Messiah. He was willing to give her that spiritual living water that she would never thirst again. You see, our Lord had to take her through that thought of that water like we know, H2O, will satisfy your thirst for just a little bit. But he says, I got some better water than that. I've got water you'll never thirst again. 
but lack of experience sometimes paralyzes us. At least with that thought this morning, if we don't have the experience, at least engage with people and talk to people about becoming a Christian and about Christ and lead them to someone who can help you teach that person. And you gain that experience. Because one thing that we're lacking in the brotherhood today not all across, but in some congregations, is the lack of evangelism. Setting up Bible studies and teaching and talking to people. And I believe that this lesson is fitting because I, I, I try to keep track of Bible studies and conversions and baptisms that we have in this congregation. And we're not having a whole lot of Bible studies. So I think it's something that we need to really think about. And be notified. And be made aware of. That's something that we need to increase and do better at, if you will. But lack of experience sometimes can intimidate us. But what about lack of Bible knowledge? You know what? Usually the people whom we come in contact with, the lost that we're studying with, don't have a whole lot of Bible knowledge. Sometimes they have none at all. And they don't need us to understand the difficult books of the Bible. We don't, they don't need us to understand the book of Revelation, which is not hard to understand. But they don't need us to help them understand the weightier matters, if you will, the, more, the difficult things. They need us to help them to understand the basic principles of becoming a Christian and that there is a Christ and Christ died for you. And there's going to be life beyond this life. And it's going to be an eternal place called heaven. But there's also a hell. People need those basics. They need us to tell them about Jesus. And what they have to do to have their sins washed away. Notice that this woman made an invite, didn't she? She left her water pot and she went in the city and she said to the men, Come see a man which you told me all the things I've ever did. Is this not the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. What she say? Come see this man. He's got to be the Christ. And you go to the book of Acts in chapter 8, in verse 35, and we read, and the Bible says to us, then Philip, you remember the story, the Ethiopian eunuch, riding along in a chariot, Philip joined himself to him. Do you understand us what thou readest? 
And he says, how can I such a man to teach me? And notice in verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him what? Jesus. Sometimes intimidation in the areas of experience, lack of it, lack of Bible knowledge. What do we see here? We see a man who does not have as much as Bible knowledge as what Philip could have said. Well, I don't know. He's part of the queen's court and he's probably a whole lot smarter than I am. And I just don't know if I can go and teach him because he'll probably make me look bad. What did he say? Philip opened his mouth, didn't he? You see, if we're going to teach people, we've got to open our mouth. We talked in our class again this morning. They kind of, sometimes they get a prelude of what's coming <laughs> in that class. They get a prelude because I've got those thoughts in my mind, and they've been running for two or three days, and sometimes they spill over into that class. But I told them this morning, we had to open our mouth. Unfortunately, we have a generations of kids and stuff that don't talk. They don't communicate. They don't have to open their mouth. They don't have to ask. Information is right at our fingertips, every one of us, isn't it? You know, we, we, we get information constantly. But this man said, how can I learn unless someone teach me? Philip opened his mouth. We've got to open our mouth and talk to people and teach people. That's what it boils down to. So lack of experience and lack of Bible knowledge or lack of skill... You know, some believe that evangelism and teaching other people requires a lot of skill, a skilled teacher. The Samaritan woman was highly effective, if you remember, in winning souls by simply offering an invitation. That's what it boiled down to. Come see. How simple is that for you and I? Come see. Can I study with you? Can I give you some information that you can read. Amanda and I, we, we found a pretty good book that we found through the same publications that we give to people. Someone has died and left you an inheritance. It's a really good book to help people learn. I think they're like, what, $2? I think $2 a piece. We order them by the boxes. We just try to hand them out. Open our mouth. And a lack of skill. Notice with me, in the book of John, back in the first chapter, 35 through 42. And notice what we see here. We see Andrew finding the Messiah, coming in contact with Jesus. And what do you say? They were following him. He says, what seek you in verse 38? Then they said to him, Rabbi, Master, where dwellest thou? He says, come see. And what happens in this story? He goes to his brother, doesn't he? Andrew did the same thing with his brother, his brother Peter. In John 1, 35 through 42, come see, just like the woman at the well. 
Come see this, this, this Messiah. Come see who he is. I think sometimes intimidation becomes as well because of possibility of rejection. You know, we have a hard time being rejected, don't we? We all want to be liked. We don't want someone, we don't want to think that someone says, oh, I don't like what you're saying. I don't like what you're doing. The possibility of rejection. The apostles faced the same obstacle, and yet they never allowed it to prevent them from continuing on the mission or in the mission of Jesus. Acts 5 and verses 41 through 42 says they were before the council. They were beaten. And it says they went away what? Rejoicing. They were rejected. Jesus was rejected. Scripture says to be thankful that you're rejected. Be thankful that you're made fun of. Be thankful that you're, you're looked at being different. that possibility of rejection. But we're afraid. Oh, they're going to get mad at me. Oh, they might quit being my friend. They might unfriend me on Facebook. Or they might quit going out with me or playing golf with me or, or inviting me over for this or that. Sometimes we're intimidated by rejection. And not only that, sometimes we are intimidated by the baggage of the people of the ones who are lost. Hmm. It is not uncommon for disciples and Christians to fall into the trap of spiritual soul inspectors. And what I mean by that is we want to inspect people before we engage them about Jesus. Well, they're a homosexual and they'll never change. Oh, they love their alcohol. They'll never change. You know what? If we never put ourselves in positions where alcohol is there, and I'm not saying that we go and hang out at the bars, okay? But if we know people are engaged in those things, and we never put ourselves there. They're never going to hear the truth. I had an opportunity this weekend to speak something. We need to look for those opportunities. But sometimes we're afraid. Because of the baggage of these people. Remember what Paul said in Romans 1 and verse 16? For I am not ashamed, what? Of the gospel of Christ. That through the gospel that it brings salva unto salvation, he says. Being able to speak those things, being able to open my mouth, not be a soul inspector and say, oh, those people will never listen to me. We just don't know what our influence can be. They'll never give up those things, that drinking or that cursing or uh, the fornication or the adultery they're living in. 
we never know. So this morning we've looked at things that intimidate us, but real quickly in the last few minutes that we have, how do we become a better you when it comes to those things? I want to offer you four suggestions. Number one is we need to develop a strong zeal, a passion for Jesus. How do I overcome all these things? How do I better myself in, in, in teaching people and evangelizing people and setting up Bible studies? Is I need a stronger zeal. You know, it's that old adage, I got to have some get up and go about myself. I can remember my grandfather and my daddy would use this adage. He said, my get up and go, or my get up and go was already gone <laughs> when they was tired. Sometimes I think as Christians, as we settle in in the church and we get older and, and we, we put ourselves on a shelf as a, as a monument or a museum of saints and says, well, I've done my due. I don't have to teach anymore. I don't have to do this. I don't have to set up Bible studies. I don't have to teach classes. I don't have to do these things. And I'm going to put myself on the shelf and I'm going to be a model person for everybody else. That's not what Christianity is. We need a zeal. We need to bring back zeal in the brotherhood and right here in this congregation. The zeal. Oh, we, we, want, we take and try to talk to people. But if you fail, guess what? Just like a vacuum cleaner guy. How many, they say how many hundreds of doors he's got to go to until he finally finds somebody who needs a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Same way in Christianity. Developing that strong zeal, a strong passion to tell people about Jesus. And I'm going to tell you what, when you develop that want to, it comes naturally. It comes naturally. To spark up conversations about him. You know, again, Paul. Paul, you go to Romans chapter 1. And I mentioned it just a moment ago and referenced it. But let's go there and let's look at what Paul felt like his responsibility was. In Romans chapter 1, and um, starting, in, starting in verse uh, 14, Paul says, he says, I'm a debtor. He says, I have a debt. He says, I owe. I have an obligation to Christ and to God. He said, I have an obligation to the, uh, to the Greeks and I have a, a, to the barbarians and, and, the, and to the wise. Notice what he says there, to the wise and what? The unwise. Paul has zeal. He says, I, I'm a debtor. I owe it to God and I owe it to these people and we owe it to these people that are all around us. We sing that song, you never what? Mention him to me. Boy, I don't want to stand on the day of judgment and know that my next door neighbor, I never said anything to him about Jesus. Because God's going to ask me. 
He's going to say, those people, or those people that live next to you over there, you never mentioned Christ to them. You never mentioned church. Those people you worked with, you never mentioned those people. You never mentioned it to them. Paul had that responsibility. He had that responsibility, that zeal, and that want to, if you will. Same to the woman in the well this morning. She was, had so much zeal, she was so excited that she left her water pot. She forgot what she came there to do. When we get that type of excitement about preaching the gospel and teaching the lost, guess what? Good things are going to happen. But we've got to develop that. Now, am I saying here this morning that we have none here? No. Because we do. There's a lot of good things that go, behind, go on behind closed doors that you don't know about and either I don't know about. But you know what? I think we can do better. I think I can do better. But we need to pray, number two. And I mean, when I say pray, we need to pray fervently. We need to talk to God and beg him to help us develop courage. And we need to appeal to him for boldness. We need to appeal that he will open doors and, and that we can have effectiveness. In our evangelism, we need to use prayer we need to use and beg God for those things. In Colossians 4, in verses 2 through 4, Paul writes, Continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us what? A door of utterance. For the word, it says in one version. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds that I may make it manifest or shown as I ought to speak. We need to pray. Pray without ceasing, Scripture says. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, Peter and John were arrested And they found other Christians, once they were released, praying for them. Praying that they would continue the work. Number three, we need to start seeing people as they truly are. Start seeing those people in your environments as they truly are. Let me give you a news flash. People who are outside of Christ, people in Christ is the church, the body of Christ. The one he talked about, Matthew 16 and 18, upon this rock I'll build my church. The one that was instituted and put in place in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The ones the Bible, in Romans 16 and 16, that speaks of the church of Christ salutes you. That body, that church, people who are outside of that, guess what? They're lost.
they're spiritually dead. Just like the ark in the day of Noah's time, when God shut that door, guess what? Everybody outside of that ark was what? They get on a high mountain, they save themselves? No. They were lost. Dead. You see, there's going to be a day that God's going to shut the door. There's not going to be any more putting it off. There's not going to be any more saying, well, I'll eventually learn the truth or I'll eventually study. I'll eventually get serious about being a Christian. I'll get serious about evangelizing people. There's going to be a day that God shuts the door. And it's over. These people are drowning in a sea of sin in our world today. And they need us to help them. They need us. There are people around you and around me that need our help. You see, this is something that we often, we we get caught up in a lot of things in our life. And we forget about that. Go back to John chapter 4 and verse 35. And we're fixing to close just in a moment. Notice what Jesus says to his disciples after all this has taken place. Oh, they had been on him about even speaking to this woman. This woman's like, you know you ain't supposed to speak to me. Me and you don't get along. You think I'm, you think I'm a, a dog. Not in Jesus' eyes. But notice what he says to his disciples. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and, and to finish his work. Verse 34. Notice in verse 35. Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, what? Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields. Why? For they are white and all ready to harvest. You know what that says to us today? We need to lift our eyes up. We need to see the big picture and know that there are people who are lost and that need us to teach them. To tell them the truth in love and in sincerity concerning for their soul. And last but not least, and we're going to close it, we need to develop a sense of urgency. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2 says to us, Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow, what? May just be too late. Or it will be too late. Today is the day of salvation. If one is not a Christian and one knows that they are outside of the ark or outside of the body of Christ, that person, he or she, needs to to engage in in the process of learning and being taught and, and becoming a Christian. We need a sense of urgency. Today is the day to invite. Today is the day to try to set up a Bible study. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. We've seen that in the woman, John 4 and 35. 
for the most of Christians, we don't see the urgency. Lift up your eyes. You see, there is no more incredible feeling than helping someone come to the Lord. This morning I ask you the question, do you need help coming to the Lord? Do you need help? His hand is out. His hand is out saying, I'm waiting. Come. Things are ready. I'm ready for you. I will help you. I can remove all those sins that you've ever committed. And if you'll live faithful for me, I'll take you home to be in heaven with me one day. I'm going to close with this statement. There are two places for our spiritual enemy. that hinder that he should be, and that being Satan. There are two places for our spiritual enemy, and those two places are under our feet and behind us. If we're going to do what we should do and not be intimidated by whatever there is in your life and mine, we've got to put him under our feet and behind us. Please come. Together we stand as we sing.